Well, today, we're going to have our own version of spring training. The Red Sox just came out of spring training. They got 10 games under their belt. They don't stink yet. Pretty close, but they're doing better. But we're going to have our own version of spring training today and talk about some things that if we can kind of warm up on these things and get them under our belt, we'll be much better prepared to perform well when we get into our study about transformed. So we have a theme verse, if you will, for our series. And it comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Many of you are familiar with this. I'd, I'd love for you to just to say this verse with me, just speak it out loud. It says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Say it one more time. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I challenge you to memorize that verse, just a, just a portion of the verse there from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, as a part of our series. It really should be something you should be able to pull off pretty easily. And, uh, and um, you know, it's interesting that every single one of us is born unique. When we're born, we have a heartbeat that is unique to us. We have fingerprints that are unique to us. Our Voice box produces a sound that's unique to us. Some people are really good at mimicking that, but we're, you know, they can, they're great at, 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 um, at, at being able to just depict other people, but, but we each have our own unique voice print that we make. But it seems like just almost immediately as we kind of begin to engage the world, we feel this tremendous pressure to try to conform, right? I mean, it starts pretty early. You can watch a two-year-old, right? As soon as one two-year-old does something, all the other two-year-olds are going to do the same thing right after them, right? If they, they jump over this or throw that or do this or pick this up, they're going to do the same thing. As soon as one kid has, has a toy, everybody wants the same toy, right? There's this tremendous pressure to conform, to, to be like everybody else. It's interesting seeing that unfold through our ministry in Africa as we've been going to Rwanda. You know, this is a country where the average income is still 3 to $4 a day. But, and, and, and their culture is very distinct, and yet they're all trying to look like Westerners. You know, that, that, that they're wearing the, the shoes and the pants and the shirts, trying to look like, like Westerners. And we go there, and we're buying the shirts to make us look like Rwandans, but Rwandans don't look like Rwandans because they look like Westerners, you know. And, and, and there's this tremendous pressure to conform. But what this verse tells us is that God doesn't want us to be conformists. God wants us to be nonconformists. God does not want us to be conformists. God wants us to be nonconformists. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be the unique people that he created us to be. He wants us to use the unique sets of gifts, experiences, opportunities, and relationships that every single one of us has, and he wants to use that in a way that changes us and allows us to express our uniqueness. God has called us to live out that uniqueness. And what, what this passage is telling us is that the greatest gateway to change in our lives that allows us to experience and become the people that God intends us to be, to experience the blessings that God's trying to give us, to, to have the joy, the impact, the hope, the peace, the, all that kind of stuff that we talk about all the time that the Scripture's full of, the way that comes to pass in our lives is that we have to change the way that we think right? The greatest pattern, the greatest impact on changing who we are and how we live 
is not focusing on our behavior, but focusing on what we think, what we believe. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to be on a diet. I've been on a diet for about a month. Get on the scale today before I dress for church. I've gained two pounds. I think my wife is sabotaging. I think she's changing the scale, and I'm actually down 10, but it's making me look like a No, no that's not true. She's, she's mean, but she's not that mean. And, you know, and, and, the, and I got to tell you, as much as I hate to admit it in front of a crowd, the biggest problem is, is that I don't want to change the way I think about food. You know? I mean, that's what they tell you. You've got to change the way you think about food. I, I still want to think that Doritos taste great. It doesn't matter what they do to your body. Doritos taste great. You know, we went to the new Mexican place here in town last night and had sopapillas. It's probably like 5,000 calories in every single bottle. It was really good. You know, and, you know but we, you know, the way we change is by changing the way that we think. And God calls us to be nonconformists as he transforms our minds so that we think his thoughts about these key areas of our lives, whether it be our, our spiritual lives, our relational lives, our emotional lives, our, our mental wellness lives, our, our, our financial lives. We're going to be looking at all these pieces, and God's going to be sharing his truth with us. And, and you're going to be seeking to change the way we think so that it changes who we are and the way we live and, and who we're becoming. But i got to tell you, one of the things that you and I need to learn to do in order for that to have its greatest impact on us, is that we need to join God in setting spiritual goals for our lives. There's this dynamic that you see in the Scripture, and Jesus brings it out at the end of Matthew, and we see it some other places where, I mean, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount of Matthew, is, is, and we see it in other places, that life is like we're standing in a river, you know, and, and the current is constantly coming at us. And if we're not holding on to stuff, it's going to get carried away from us. And so much spiritual input that God puts into our lives just, just flows by us. It just it moves around us because we are not grabbing onto it because we really don't have any goals to connect it to so it becomes a part of who we are. And what I want to talk to you two about today is, is the need for and the value of setting goals spiritually. Now, a lot of you think, well, you know, goals, all right. You know, that, that, doesn't that sound awful worldly? This is what businesses do. You know, we want to grow our sales by X amount, right? This is what professional teams do. We haven't had a successful season unless we win the Super Bowl. You know, we set goal, you know, goals. That, you know, that's worldly stuff, right? We're supposed to be following the Spirit. You know, the Spirit's spontaneous. It does whatever. I got to tell you, setting goals is a spiritual thing. And so I want to give you five reasons to start today, I want to give you five reasons why you should set spiritual goals for your life. And, and so we're going to work through this. There's outlines in your, in your sermon, in your uh, handout for today. If, if that's helpful for you, you can follow along and write stuff down. Some of you may say, I'm just better off just to listen, and then I'll listen to it again on the podcast, just download it from the website or whatever. But, but I want to challenge you today to, to really be open to think about setting spiritual goals for your life. Set them for each of the areas as we move through the seven weeks, looking at our relational lives, our vocational lives, our financial lives, our, our spiritual lives, our, you know, our, uh, our emotional lives, our, the, our mental wellness type of lives, physical health, all those issues. As we look at those to be grabbing those things and setting goals for us. And, and here's the first truth I want you to see, is that setting goals is actually a spiritual responsibility that God has given you. It's a spiritual 
responsibility that God has given you. So if you would, turn to, to Philippians chapter 3. If you're using one of our Bibles that's underneath your seat, you can find it on page 999-999. If you're using your own Bible, you'll find the book of Philippians kind of in the midst of Paul's smaller, mid-sized letters. The, the New Testament, over the, towards the back of your Bibles, is organized around the four Gospels. Then there's the, the completion of the history books of the New Testament, if you would, with the book of Acts. Then we have all the letters of Paul, from the longest to the shortest, and in, between, in the middle of that are the books to the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, and the Colossians, which I remembered as the General Electric Power Company, but um, somebody in the first service says, it's like when we go to the movies, we get to eat popcorn, G-E-P-C. So, but he's trying to lead me astray because I'm trying to change the way I think about food, you know? Just a little aside, when you go... You know, if they want to sell you a box of popcorn like that, but for a dollar more, they'll give you that much. Well, you always buy it, you know. But I need to change the way I think about food. Pray for me, all right? Here we go. <laughs> Setting goals is a spiritual responsibility. Let me read this passage in just a minute, but I want you to think about something. God has a goal for history. From the moment he started creation in the book of Genesis to the time that Jesus comes back, in the second coming, God, God has a purpose. God has a goal for history. God is working in human history. Its watershed moment was the cross where we now have a new way of being able to relate to God through grace, through forgiveness, through the love of God that's poured out into our lives by our faith in Christ and the forgiveness that comes and we get to be the children of God. But God has been working intentionally in history. God has a plan in history. Jesus came into the world, the Son of God came into the world with a plan. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to do the will of his Father, you know, and, 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 it, and, and it's expressed in its fullest sense at the cross. But he came with a plan. That plan involved an impact on us. God sent the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit came with a plan to empower us to be witnesses. If Every aspect of the Trinity is working a plan. How in the world do we, as the children of God who are following God, live our lives without a plan? Do you know what I mean? How do we live our lives without a goal if the God that we worship is, is a goal-oriented God who always has a plan? He's always intentional in what he's been doing. And, and the Apostle Paul figured this out in the book of Philippians. And, and he's talking to these believers who are who they've grown, they're kind of getting stagnant, and there's, you know, that kind of stuff, and they're kind of slowing down. I say, well, it's just church. And, kind of, and he says, listen, he's writing to them about God's activity and his, God's activity in his life. And look at verse 12 in chapter 3, page 999. Not that I have already reached the goal, right? Or I'm already fully mature. For Paul, he had, he had, a, he had a definition out there of this goal. He, he understood what God was calling him to, and he understood what God's plan for him was. And he says, you know, I haven't got there yet. I'm not fully mature. I haven't become the person that God has shown me he wants me to become. So I make every effort to take hold of it. This goal governs what he's doing because I have also been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers, I do not commit myself, consider myself to have taken hold of it, but here's what I do. I forget what lies behind. I can't go back, right? I know I can't stay where I'm at, so with it I reach forward to what is his head because the goal, this 
goal that God has given him, of the person he can become, says, I pursue it as my goal, as my goal, the promised prize, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, everyone who's mature, everyone, everyone who's got their head on straight and thinking that way, thinks the exact same way. In other words, they have a goal. They have an understanding, a, a vision, an image, a compelling sense of where God is trying to take them as a person. And if you don't think that way, say God will reveal that to you also. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll eventually figure it out. Setting goals is a spiritual responsibility. When you and I don't have goals, spiritually, we're not living our lives by design. We're just living our lives by drifting. Right? When you and I are, when we don't have a purpose or a goal who's driving us, we're not really living we're just reacting to what's going on around us, right? If, if, if we don't have a goal, then somebody else has given us a goal. So take, for instance, think about many of you in here this morning are like me. You're married. What's your goal for your marriage? I got to tell you, if you don't have a goal for your marriage, somebody does. Your kid does. Your mother-in-law does. Somebody's got a goal for your marriage, right? Or your spouse does. But what is your goal for your marriage? If, if, you're not, if you don't have a goal, you're not living by design. You're not living by intentionality. You're just drifting through your relationship, reacting to what happens day to day. That's not the way God called us to live. He wants us to take spiritual responsibility, understand his word, let the spirit direct us, set a goal, and go for it in our relationship with him and the way that affects our primary relationships here to the world. I'm not saying you have to dream up these goals, but God speaks to us and he takes us forward. And we have a spiritual responsibility like Paul to say, I know what my goal is. I'm not there yet and I ain't quitting because God's trying to take me there and I'm going to keep going. And we have a spiritual responsibility to set goals in following God's lead. Here's the second reason I think it's great to set goals. Goal setting really is a statement of faith. When you set goals for your life spiritually, you think about what is it that God's calling me to do and calling me to be in my workplace, in my financial life, in my married life, in my parenting life, as a part of a family, as a part of a neighborhood, a part of a, a work community. When you think about what is it God calling me to do, your vision of that, your goal for that, your purpose, your priorities, a statement of your faith. It states what you believe about God. It's a statement about what you think God can do in you. It's a statement about how much faith you have and how much change really God can bring. It, it, the list just kind of goes on and on. But your, your goal, whether it's for your marriage or for, for your financial life or for your sense of wellness in your physical life, all, any of that kind of stuff, it's a statement of your faith. It's what you believe about God. How much can God really do? I mean, it's interesting. The book of Hebrews says, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if your purpose for your life isn't generated by faith, whatever that purpose is, is not pleasing to God because it's not generated by faith. Paul put it this way in the book of Romans. Whatever's not from faith is sin. So that means if we have stuff in our lives even though it may not be evil in the eyes of the world, may not even be sinful in the eyes of God, but if that's not what God 
wants for you. That's not doesn't come from faith. It's not a direct result of your intentional desire to follow God. Then that can actually be sin in your life, even though it's good. Because if it's not from faith, if it's not inspired by your faith, it's really not from God. And the scripture says it's sin. So your goals are a statement of what you believe about God. It's a statement about you, what you believe God is calling you to do. And it's a statement about the size of the faith that you have in your life. Faith, is a st- goals are a statement of our faith. And it's, it's interesting to see these pieces work out, right? You know, you have the Israelites, right? They're, they're slaves in Egypt. They're, they're oppressed. They're crying out to God. They don't, you know, they're, they're oppressing us, and we're doing all this work, and et cetera, and it's hard, and they're crying out to God, and God sends Moses, and God releases them from their captivity, right? You know, a lot of you know the story of Exodus, the, the ten plagues, and the last plague is the, the angel of death that goes through, and the Israelites are spared because of the blood that's on the door, you know, and we get the whole Passover experience from that, so it's, it's a precursor to the Passover that's going to occur as we stand beneath the cross because of Christ's blood on the cross and that kind of thing. God leads them out of the nation of Egypt. They get to plunder the the nation before they go. They pass through the Red Sea. God delivers a great victory by collapsing the water on them. They get out and God does a few miracles to provide for them waters from rock and all that kind of stuff. And they get up to the southern rim of the promised land, right? And they send out 12 spies. And the spies Go through the land, they come back, and, you know, they're, they're bringing some of the produce. I mean, the, 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 the clumps of grapes that are coming off the vines are just incredible. And, and they're like, it's a good land. It's a good land. I mean, God has brought us to a good place. They say, but, you know, there's a lot of people who live up there. You know what? And those guys all look like Greek gods. I mean, they're strong, and they're big, and et cetera, and they live in cities with walls. There's no sneaking in on these guys at night. There's no sneak. There's no way God can do this. There's no way God can do this. Reflects what they believe about God, right? That that God sent them out on a mission to take the promised land, but boy, their faith just didn't allow that to happen. I got to tell you, you know, our goals, what we envision is, are a reflection of what we believe about God and what we can believe about what God can do within us. I, I remember when Hope Chapel was first kind of getting started. You know, we started in April of 2002, and we, we kind of turned about the one-year mark, and, and we realized that, you know, we were growing a little bit. We were far from big. We were, I don't know, we were probably averaging about 75 people a week at that point, you know, 60 people a week or something, up and down a little bit. And, but we said, you know what, we can't stay in the school forever. And the piece of property that we inherited from Sterling Baptist when it, when it ceased to function, the little acre and a quarter with half of it unbuildable and a little 500-square-foot trailer that was on it, we knew it wasn't going to work, right? And so we, we, we said, well, right, we need a place to be able to build, and we're not going to find it like that, so we need to start looking. So I can remember sitting down in meetings with some of the, the core folks we had and said, what kind of a piece of property do we want? So here we are. We're, we're a church of about 60 people. We still don't have a full-time pastor yet, you know, and, they, and we're saying we need at least 10 buildable acres. We need it to be on a major thoroughfare in the town of Sterling with easy access to the highway. You know, and, and they're, you know, you're talking to people around town, and they're saying, you know, Sterling is a two-church two town. 
there's First Church in St. Richard's. Good luck getting something else going. And here we are saying we need 10 buildable acres in prime location in Sterling. And, and, it, and it really is a play. Like, how's that? And God actually, as we pursued, and it took us over a year. It was like 16 months, actually. And actually, the owners of the land picked up the phone and said, you still in the market for land? You know, it, your, your goals, what you think God is calling to you are a statement of your faith. And it's what we believed about God. It was what we believed about what God wanted us to do. So here we were at this little church, and we're going after a project that's going to be 10 times or more what our budget is. Can you imagine, you know, like having a $60,000 a year, a year household income, and you're trying to take on a six dollars or $700,000 house? You know, I mean, it, that's kind of what we were looking at. But we were like, you know, we were like 150000 and we just thought we were looking at a million and a half, and it actually turned out to be two and a half million before we actually got the land and got into the building and got it built. It's incredible stuff. Just a couple of little words about goals in this area. When it comes to goals in the statement of our faith, I, I think we have two major problems. And this isn't original with me, but I agree with it 100%. We usually set our goals too low, and we think we can, and we usually try to accomplish them too quickly. We set our goals too low, and we try to do them too quick. We underestimate, we, we overestimate how much we can get done in the short, short run, and we underestimate how much God can do in and through us over the long run. So part of the things that you're going to hear me challenging you to do over these next eight weeks, is to set goals that they're going to take you five to ten years to accomplish. Not three months, but five to ten years, 20 years. Some of you are young enough, they might even be goals that 40 years from now, this is what you want to accomplish in terms of your spiritual transformation. But don't set your goals too low and don't get there too quickly. Third value, spiritual goals. Spiritual goals actually help us focus actually help us focus. Spiritual goals sustain and they create focus. Matthew 6.21 that I listed there for you, right? Um, the scripture says, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart going to be also. What you define as what's important to you, what you define as what your goal is, that this is where, how you really would like your life to go, that's where your heart's going to do and it's going to take you it's going to focus you in that direction. You know, some of you have heard this statement. It's been floating around for a long time, kind of made popular, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. You know, the enemy of the best is often the good, right? And that's because that we, 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 when we don't sustain focus, we get so much stuff going on that we leave a lot of the best stuff on the sideline, right? And, and you and I need to have focus. You know, in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 26 that I've got listed there in your notes. Paul says, you know, when you think about a runner who's trying to run a race, they don't run aimlessly, right? Tomorrow some people are going to run the marathon, right? There's about 5,000 people or something who are absolutely nuts who are going to put on some sneakers and go run 26.6 miles for fun, right? Now they need therapy, but beyond that, right, you know, beyond that, you know, when they start, the, the guys who are in the front, some of the guys in the back, the guys in the front who are really trying to win, they're, they're not just running aimlessly, right? Those guys, they know, this is where I want to be at mile marker one in terms of time, and two, and three. They know the course, 
They know exactly where they're going. They're not wandering side streets or trying to figure it out or whatever. They know exactly when they're going to take water and when they're not. They, they're not running aimlessly. They know they, they have focus. They know what they're trying to accomplish. And I got to tell you, we need to be in a place where if we, we know where God's taken us, what God's trying to accomplish, what we're asking God to do in our lives, we know what we can leave aside. I got to tell you, there's great power in focus. You know, um, think about light, right? It's nice and sunshiny out today, right? Beautiful. I'm golfing at 3 o'clock. I hope the sun stays up till at least 7.30, maybe 8 o'clock because we may be playing slow and I can see my ball in the wood better with light than, than not, that kind of thing. And, but, but when you focus light, it's really powerful, right? How many of you, like, like me, when you were a kid, you get a magnifying glass and see if you get a leaf to light up, you know, and you burn a hole in it? Now, you know, you, you can, they take lasers, right? And, and, and I've been told by others that you could actually bring down satellites using lasers. Land-based lasers, they can destroy satellites that are orbiting the earth. They focus that light. I read something in the paper the other day. There's this company trying to use laser beams to send small little sensors to the Milky Way faster than they can get them any other way. You know, when you focus light, it becomes extremely powerful. When you and I focus on what it is that God wants to accomplish in us, what's unique to us, what God's asking us specifically to do with our lives, we, 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 we push a little way out and we develop great power. We run for the end. We get to a place where we're not just living life, we're investing our lives when you have focus. If, if you don't have focus, you're just, just living life. But if you know what God's trying to do with you, if I know what God's trying to do with me, we're investing our lives. I got to tell you, this is one of the things, as I was thinking about this message this week, I, I, you know, I said, and I look back, we, we, you know, we're just about we're 14 years old, and et cetera. Um, next week will actually be our 14th, 14th anniversary of our very first service. And I thought to myself, you know, the biggest failure in my leadership as a pastor of Hope Chapel is that I haven't said no to more things. I just said, no, we're not going to do that, and we're not going to do it that way. That... We've lost focus a little bit. 14 years ago, we started a church that was designed to be different. There were churches around that were teaching the truth, and our communities were full of people who had been to church, didn't find anything that really helped, helped them answer questions about how to live in the 21st century, and they stopped going. And we set out to start a church, and I believe it was a God-given vision, a goal, a purpose, Right? that we would start a church that would, that would be different than the churches that people grew up in. And we'd be in a place where they would hear language, they would hear music, they would experience a community that's different than the churches they've been in. And they'd say, you know what, this isn't the church I left. Maybe I can actually find answers from God about how to do life in the 21st century. And along the way, there's been times where I've lost focus on that. And we've said yes to stuff that kind of made us way too much like the churches that those people walked away from and not clear enough in being the church that we need to be. And there's a great power in the focus that comes from having spiritual goals. Fourth, moving quickly, my time's running out. Spiritual goals sustain us when tough, the times get really tough. 
They sustain us. They encourage us. They, they keep us moving forward. You know, the passage there from the book of Hebrews that I've cited, and some of you are very familiar with that passage. It's, it's, it's well quoted. But in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to get there eventually, you know, he talks about the whole cloud of witnesses, and they encourage us, and then, and then he says, in, in verse 2, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. The source and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, we get, we get our faith. He's our model. We should be following him. And this is where he says, who, who for the joy that lay before him. In other words, as he looked at the goal of the joy that God was going to give him if he was faithful to the end, he found in that joy the motivation to be obedient, and he endured the cross and despised the shame. The goal that Jesus had to come and give his life as a ransom for many. The fact that he came to do the will of the Father as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, you know, Father, but your will. I want this cup to pass, but I want to do what... You know, he, he endured all of that because he knew what was on the other side. He had the goal, and so he endured the cross, and he put up with the shame. The book of Job there, he, Job's in a moment. He's very early in his journey. You know, he's, he'd been blessed by God, and everything was great. Things changed like that, even though Job hadn't changed, but his circumstance lost his family, his business, his health. He lost everything, and he's sitting on, on the heap, and he's just beginning his dialogue with his brothers. He said, I, I, I don't know what my future looks like. I, I, you know, I'm so disoriented in terms of who God is and how God operates. I, I don't know what my future looks like, and with that, I got, I, got, I got no energy, no direction to get up and do anything. And, and when you and I have this focus, when we have these goals, it sustains us in moments when we're walking through hell. You know, when, when we're walking through hell, you know, don't look around, walk fast, and keep your eyes focused on the other end. Keep your eyes focused on heaven where you're going kind of idea. I got to tell you, this, this is, a, this is a, a, a great word, a great reminder to me. You know, many of you know that before I came to Hope Chapel, I started another church in um, down in Hanover, Massachusetts. It, we, we went, Christina and I went there in 1987, right out of seminary. I was 27 years old, and there's a few battered, battered bodies left around from an earlier church plant that had failed, and so they, several of them were willing to give it a try, so we started out with like six of us. You know, and even though, you know, the first services you went there, and it, I mean, literally, we, we could have we fit in the men's bathroom. We were that small, right? You know, just, there's like eight or ten people in worship, you know. Worst time to get to a church meeting on a Sunday night is to get there at the end of May, right? Nobody wants to go to church, you know, in the middle of the night in July, you know, and that kind of, and so it was just a rough go, and and, and, and we went there with a goal to plant a healthy, thriving church that was stable enough that it could be a, a consistent witness for generations to come. And, and we get into it. God's starting to do some great things and et cetera. And then we, the church grows. We, we manage to buy some land. We build a building, about a 5,000-square-foot building. It's about a little smaller than the center section of our building. And at two years into the building, we have an arson fire. And... And so we're covering with insurance, all kinds of things. It's going to take eight months to rebuild the building. So we have to move off-site. We didn't want to move way away because we we're kind of staying So there was a, an industrial building just about a mile from where we were at that, was, that they were willing to lease for a short season, like six months, because they were trying to sell it. So we moved in basically to an office space that used to have all kinds of, of, of cubicles in it, right? So the ceiling's only about eight feet tall, and it's like 30 by 40. And I got to tell you, 
It was awful. You know, I mean, literally, I, I, you know, the services were just dead. Just dead. And, and I mean, I'd preach my heart out. You know, I'd, I'd go from stopping getting a medium coffee to an extra large, you know, get more caffeine in. And then, then I started drinking green tea pills to go along with the coffee. And, you know, I'm preaching my heart out and my sermons are bouncing off the pulpit and barely making it to the floor, you know. And it was just awful. And then, then I learned out what, learned what pastoral PMS is, you know, post-message syndrome. You know, you, you, get the, you get the Monday morning and it's like, I can't do this anymore. We're, we're, we should be ri- revving up, getting ready to move back into the building, the great stuff. And, and we're, we're having a hard time getting from week to week, and people are leaving, and we're getting smaller, and this, people are getting discouraged. And I'm saying, God, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. And there was a moment in there where, where I, you know, I just grasped on the fact, you know what, God? I know you've called me to be a pastor. I know you've called me here. I know what you've called me here to use me to do. And that's what got me through. It's not that the services got any better. They got worse. They, they got worse. But what sustained me to the moments we moved back into the building and the body just came back to life in some marvelous ways, what sustained me was that purpose, that goal that God had given me in that place. And I got to tell you, goals are what are going to sustain you when you get into the, the tough spots. Here's my last point. Spiritual goals build character. They build character. They build spiritual character. I got a quote there for you. It's not original from me. Agree with it 100%. You will never become the person God intends you to be until you intend to become that person. You can go to church all you want. You can go to all the Bible studies you want. You can read all the books you want. You can listen to all the podcasts you want. You can memorize all the scripture you want. But until you intend to become the person that God wants you to be, you're never going to become that person. Because it's in the journey of pursuing that goal of becoming the person that God intends you to be, that intention that you have, that it's in that journey that God actually forms that person within you. And until you intend to become that person, you're not going to become that person. And spiritual goals build character. Some of you, next year this time, you're not going to be going to any church. You're not going to be going to Hope Chapel. You're not going to be going to any church. And a lot of that is because you never really intended to become the person that God wants you to be. You know, and, and, and I can't manufacture that for you. Neither can anybody sitting around you. They, in community, we can encourage it, inspire it, support it, bless it, challenge it and everything. But until you choose that goal for God's life, God has for you, for you to become the person he intends you to be, and that's your intention, you're never going to become that person. It takes that kind of intentionality to build that kind of character in our lives. And Paul was driven by that goal as we read in Philippians chapter 3. And the reason he became the greatest New Testament Christian was because he always had that goal in front of him and he never backed off of it and God formed it within him and he made those incredible changes. So how do you set some good goals? I mean, we've talked about some great reasons. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in these but, you know, as we walk, walk through the seven weeks and we're, we're asking, okay, God, what is it you want to do in my spiritual life? What do you want to do in my, my, my emotional life? What do you want to do with my, my mental life, my physical life, my relational life, my vocational life, my financial life? As we start looking through those issues, how is it that you actually set goals that are, that are kind of goals that are going to allow you to change the way you think, 
and be transformed. So you're going to be grabbing the stuff you're learning and connecting it into who you are so you can actually apply it to the change in thinking that it leads to spiritual transformation. Here, here's several things I want to give you. First of all, these goals have to honor God. They have to honor God. You know, Jesus said, you know, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If the kind of goals you're setting aren't going to lead for your Father to be glorified, they're really not honoring to God. They've got to be goals that honor God. They've got to demand that you are dependent upon the Father and upon the Spirit to get them done. If it's something that you can accomplish on your own without God's power, they're really not the kind of goals that are going to lead to transformation. You know, as Zechariah put it, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's not, not by might, but it's by God's power, by His Spirit, that those things happen. You and I need to be people who establish goals that put us out there at risk for God to do some incredible things. I, I, I still remember, you know, when we were going through this journey as a church and we, we bought the land and, you know, we figured, eh, you know, maybe it was going to be about a million and a half and then the number kept going up and, you know, we're, then we committed to the idea that, you know, even though January 1st we didn't have an architect, we didn't have an engineer, we didn't have a building plan, we didn't have a site plan, we didn't, have, we didn't even have any meeting with, with the town set up, and we made a commitment to have a slab in the ground by Memorial Day. I mean, it was the kind of thing that we're never going to get this done. It's going to have to be a God thing. And then as we started working through it and we're praying, God, just let us get to a goal where, you know, we, we had a stewardship campaign. Some of you remember building a legacy of hope. Some of you were a part of that journey. So people say, oh, I'm going to continue to support the budget, but I'm going to give above and beyond for a three-year period so we can take on more debt and pay it off quickly so we can actually accomplish what it is that we feel God's accomplished, called us to do. And as we're working through that, you know, we're, we're praying initially, God, we, we, boy, just, just let our people pledge a half million dollars, which was a tremendous amount. It's like three, more than three times our budget. And then we get somewhere into the journey, and we realize that unless our people pledge like 750000 it's never going to happen. You've you got to have goals that are only going to happen if God shows up and gets them done. They've got to be goals that require that you depend upon the Word of God. If you can do this in your own wisdom, they're really not the kind of goals that are going to transform you. You say, I've I, I got to figure out what God says about this, what's God's wisdom for this, and that's the kind of goal that you need. They're going to be goals that are motivated by love, to love others as you love yourself. I mean, your goal can't be just, I want to, I want to be the guy who makes the most money in my neighborhood, right? Now, you could say, I want to be the guy who gives away the most money in my neighborhood. I want to give away five times more than anybody else. But you've you got to have goals that are motivated by love. They're, they're not about you. They're about how you can bless others as a part of that. And I got one on here at the end that's not in your notes. Is that if this is a goal that you can accomplish with other peop- without other people, then it's really not a godly goal. It's got to demand that you rely and you have the support of God's people to get it done. You can't go water skiing by yourself. So they could probably figure that out today, right? You know, you could get some remote control thing. You put it on the ski handle and you, but different. If you can do this by yourself, it's really not a goal as all that God has for you that's going to change you. So just, just a few things related to that. So read, hear, watch, and talk. I really pray that you really pray that I will be open to real change in our lives as we set goals that God can really shape us into the people he wants us to be. I'm going to pray for us right now.
I'm going to start out just being just a bit selfish. Lord, I, I, I pray that eight weeks from now, I'll be a different person. No matter what happens with all the people who are sitting in front of me or the people who sat in front of me at the 9 o'clock service, God, I pray I'd be a different person. I'd be a person who has set goals. They're going to take me on a journey that's going to last the rest of, the, the rest of my lifetime here on the planet. Goals, Father, that only you can get done. And Father, I pray that for others as well. That they would experience the mighty movement of God as they expect amazing things. Because they've listened to you. They've set goals that are truly goals. Not just ideas that we throw in a piece of but things that sustain us. And God, then we get to see you work for years to come. Father, change us into the people that you intend us to be, as we pray in the name of Christ.